We are uh, in the middle of a study on the book of, of Romans that we are taking a, uh, a break during Advent. Um, a liturgical church is uh, a church that, that follows uh, the church calendar or the liturgical calendar throughout the year. And uh, probably, if you, if you went to all the Protestant churches all over the world, all the, uh, the churches that claim to be Christian, uh, not in our area, but the majority would be liturgical churches. And uh, those who are liturgical churches would claim this to be the first day of the church year. It's the beginning of Advent, and that's when the, the church year begins, and, and then it, it makes kind of common sense as you go from there, and then uh, after the new year into Lent, and then Easter and Resurrection and Ascension and uh, Pentecost and, and so on. So um, we are beginning today uh, uh, the part of the liturgy that we do celebrate and uh, that is uh, Advent. So let's give our attention. This is a, a, um, a portion of God's Word that uh, isn't normally thought of as an Advent passage. Um, here we have the Apostle Paul writing to a group of believers in Corinth, and he is encouraging to give uh, financially and uh, even to the point of being generous and giving to other believers who are in need. Now, if you're visiting with us, don't worry. This is not a sermon or a series on giving. You don't have to say, oh, it happened again. Every time we go in a church, they're asking for money or, or whatever. Uh, that's not going to be the point, but that's the context here. Although if God's Holy Spirit were to convict you today, anyway. Now, in the midst of that encouragement, he keeps mentioning grace. And so, uh, in fact, in this chapter and the next, he, he mentions grace like ten times or so. Uh, not that many in this small portion, but uh, let me encourage you to do this. Uh, circle each time uh, it says grace, because that's what we're going to be focusing <coughs> on today. And uh, we're going to be talking about where, what he means by his statement that you know of his grace. So, as we begin in verse 1 of uh, 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, uh, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should uh, complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your, uh, uh, our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we now focus upon your word in these next few moments, we have sung glorious truths about you. We have prayed because we believe and we need to trust you more. And now, Lord, you have spoken. And so will you help us to hear, to listen not just with our ears, but, but with our ears, but also with our hearts. And then, Lord, will you help us to conform to your will? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, let me give you a little more background uh, about this, which uh, he is kind of implying here, and we've got to, got to see why he's talking to them about uh, giving in this case. Uh, uh, he says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, first of all, who are these uh, churches of Macedonia? The churches of Macedonia, that would be from uh, a region. These would be churches that would be uh, planted by uh, the Apostle Paul specifically, uh, and these might be familiar to you. It would be Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Now, what we see uh, immediately in here is uh, about those uh, churches is that they're experiencing what he calls a most severe trial. That literally in, in uh, the Greek is a great testing of affliction. Now we don't really know what it is. Uh, if you read commentaries on this passage, you'll get all kinds of speculation we really don't know, um, and you can read the commentaries and make your choice, uh, but here, here's the point is, it, it doesn't really matter if we know exactly what the affliction is, because that's not his point even, that's not even what he is uh, uh, focusing on here. 
Uh, he talks about this affliction. But here's what we do know, is that severe trial that uh, they are undergoing has caused them now to be in what he calls extreme poverty. And so you can speculate what that would, that would be. And again, the, the word there is uh, uh, down-to-the-depth poverty. In other words, they were at the bottom. They were going through some trial, whether uh, it was a famine or persecution or whatever it was, and it put them financially and in terms of provision and so on, down at the bottom. Uh, when Mark and I went to Bulgaria, one of the churches that we uh, visited was uh, in a Roman area of Sofia. And uh, now uh, the Romas were, um, they are what um, many people in other parts of the world would call the gypsies. And uh, they are thought of as uh, the very bottom of society. They are thought of as uh, lazy, as thieves. Uh, many times they are uneducated, and part of that is because of persecution on them that others would say they brought on themselves. Uh, and so they are, and they, they tend to live in areas that most people don't even want, want to go to. And so uh, some of our, our partners over there are, are planting a church. And uh, Mark and I went to visit this uh, young pastor who uh, grew up uh, very much like that as a, a Roma, uh, but came to Christ. But uh, we, so here he's planting this church in the middle of uh, this kind of a village and they basically don't have anything. They can't really provide for him. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Pete, one of our partners over there before we went, he said, you know what, uh, they could really use a, a, a communion set. And I said, well, what, how big of a set? And he said, oh, just one, one tray and uh, maybe some cups and, and a tray for the bread. And so we... We took that over to them, and he was just thrilled. You know, they wanted to have communion. They, they didn't even have any kind of a, a set or anything. Now, keep that church in your mind and imagine that church, basically, if we were talking to them about other places that we wanted to go visit, imagine that church saying, oh, well, we want to help them. What do you mean you want to help them? You, you can't take care of yourself. Please. Please, won't you let us help them, please? And that's what was going on with these churches when they heard of the need of others. Now let's look how they responded because basically... It's inexplicable. You, you can't explain it uh, from a human perspective uh, why and how they could possibly 
respond in the way they do. This passage tells us uh, uh, two things that are basically baffling. Uh, and, and what we see as we read down into the passage, we're going to come back to some of the verses, but in, in verse 5, Paul even says, and this, he's talking about the responses that we'll talk about. He said, and, and this, not as we expected. So even, even Paul is surprised here by how they responded when they saw these others in need. So now let's, let's see what surprised the Apostle Paul. Look back in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the first thing he mentioned is that they had this, this joy, this abundance of, of joy. Now, what we might expect, again, from a human perspective, from a, a church like this, what we might even be able to understand if this was their response would be if people were feeling sorry for themselves. Maybe if they had anxiety about the future of their church. If they had fear, or if they were saving every penny because they were so concerned about being able to continue on and even provide for themselves, or, or maybe churches, I'm sure, didn't have budgets like we do, but if they were cutting back on their budget, we would understand that. We see that in churches all the time when they, they run into financial difficulties. Instead, here's what Paul says. <laughs> I, I see in you this abundance of joy. And that word abundance is this. It's overflowing. It's it popping out of you. This joy. And so, the question has to be, where's this coming from? How can this be? And so he goes on and talks about something else that's inexplicable. And uh, their extreme poverty, verse 2 again, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And then he explains what this generosity is. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, here's the normal expectation or normal course that uh, most in our world would take. No one expects those in extreme poverty to give to others in need. In fact, in our world, do you know what the expectation would be? We're in extreme poverty. We want you to give to us. And so what, we are, what we're seeing here is uh, the, the exact opposite of what one would expect. Um, I have several times uh, uh, with Rotary uh, gone over to Walmart this time of year and uh, rung the bell for Salvation Army. Um, and you don't need to ask, no, I didn't dress up like Santa Claus, so, but I was... 
I was there, and uh, you, you ring the bell, and you have the kettle and everything, and because I'm human, uh, what I tend to do, I don't know about other bell ringers, whether they go through this too, but you see people uh, coming toward you, and you kind of size them up. This could be a big donation coming, you know, because you want your shift to get a lot of, lot of money. We don't know how much it is, or, you know, and they put it right in there, but uh, you kind of, as they're looking toward you, and uh, here's the thing, and this, is, this was good for my soul, I was usually wrong. There was a lot of times where I thought, here comes a, you know, a donation, and I'm, I'm ringing and smiling and saying Merry Christmas and so on. And, you know, they're, they just look down and don't even make eye contact. Some of you, it sounds like you might be that person. I don't know. And then there would be some coming that I would think, oh, boy. He looks like he needs money from this pot here. And there were so many times when they would stop and they would dig down deep and they would put money in the pot. Now that was, that was good for me, but that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here. Is that here, here we were seeing the exact opposite of what one would expect. And the question is, why? What's the underlying motive? Well, I want to give it to you in uh, verse one, 1, 6, 7, and 9. And that is grace. You've already circled it. Now, that sounds uh, redundant, but here in this passage, there are different kinds of grace that are expressed, even though it's the, the same word. But like every other part of the Christian life, grace is the operative principle here. It should be the underlying motive for what we do. Now, let's, let's take a look at, at what he says. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now here, the word grace is used as divine enablement. In other words, God gives this to these churches to enable them to do something. This isn't uh, uh, just talking about their salvation. There's overlap in all these. But it's talking about Him uh, empowering them uh, to do something. They were able to participate in that offering the way they did, they did because they were divinely enabled to. Verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. That act of grace was the offering itself. Proof of goodwill. It was proof of God 
working in their heart because it was the unexpected. It wasn't the normal course of things. It wasn't the natural reaction that people going through some trial would have. And that's what grace did to them. Verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So grace there we see as a, a, a virtuous act of, of sharing with others. And then verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his, that's his, his uh, divinely appointed uh, salvation that begins all of it for them. They wouldn't have had these other acts of grace, measures of grace, empowerment uh, by God's grace if they first didn't have His undeserved favor in their life. And so, the question is, what, what does all this have to do with Advent and the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, we're actually going to be focusing on uh, a verse here for the rest of the month. In essence, this is, this is a, a, an introduction. But look, look what he says first in verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Verse 9 is what, what's going to be our, our theme for this month, and we're going to break it down one phrase each week. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. Now, in that verse is the gospel. In that verse is the, the, the meaning of, of Christmas. But he starts out by saying, you know the grace. What Paul's saying is that because they have experienced that grace, that caused them to become generous. So if we really believe that Jesus came to this earth and he walked this earth, without sin and that then ultimately he was crucified on the cross not for his sin or for his wrongdoings but for our sin for our wrongdoings if we really believe then he was put into the grave and if we really believe that he walked out of that grave and, and uh, after walking this earth for a number of days, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, if we really believe that he was rich, he became poor for us, so that by his poverty 
we might become rich. If you believe that, what evidence is there in your lives of that? How has that changed you? For the churches in Macedonia, it changed them so much that Paul was even surprised. It was not what I expected, he said. And he knew of that grace. He had seen what it had done in his life. And what has it done in ours? So I want to just ask two questions here at the end. The first one is, like in this passage, have you given yourself first to Christ? If not, that's the first order of business. None of the rest of this will make sense. In fact, none of the rest of Advent will make sense unless you first have a relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone for your eternal life. That's the first order of business. And if you haven't taken care of that business, just start with this. Lord, I want to know the Christ of Christmas. Just start with that. Then come talk to me. Come talk to one of our pastors. We'll help you flesh that out and and go from there. But that's, that's where we start. But if you have trusted in Christ alone, how is it reflected in your life? Is there anything in your life that is so uh, radically not the natural way things go, not the natural decision that everyone in this world makes, not the flow of the stream that you're walking in, Is there anything that can be traced back to the grace of God in your life and explained only by the fact that you have a personal relationship with Christ? That's where we begin. If you trust Christ alone for your eternal life, this Advent, this Christmas, will be different from any Christmas you have ever experienced before. Let's bow together. Lord, I asked myself that question this week. And if we can't trace it, Lord, will you first of all Help us to know if we really do have a relationship with you. And then if we do, will you pour out your grace upon us, your divine enablement that causes us to walk and act as children of the living God. Lord, will you do that today, this week, during Advent? Will you? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.